Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. I just came back from a a beach, uh, waves and wind and beautiful weather. Um, And some of you saw the Facebook Live I did yesterday. but it kind of played in to today, uh, but I'll, I'll get into that in just a minute. We're in the fourth week of a series walking through this whole book, the whole book of Nehemiah, learning about who Nehemiah is, what he's doing, why. Have you ever asked yourself a question like, why is this book in the Bible? Um, do you, hopefully you know that the Bible, which is one book, is made up of 66 individual books written over thousands of years by more than 40 authors that all tell the same story, a story of God's people and redemption and and fouling up and hard times and, and restoration, all of that is here. How many of you are avid readers? Anybody love to read? You, you just enjoy reading. Okay. Um, how many of you uh, would rather be 10 foot away from any book possible? You just don't read. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I am a reader. I don't have a whole lot of time to, so I listen to a lot of books. Um, and it's hard to uh, look at this sometimes and think that this is telling one story, but... What does Nehemiah play in this story? Um, Well, in the first chapter, we found out, uh, we learned that uh, Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the king, and he gets this bad news. And we learned that in in chapter 1, that Christians should be marked by empathy. That you and I, and, and if you're not a Christian in here today, you would probably say most humans should be marked by this. But especially within our community of faith, you and I, Christ followers, should be marked by how we feel for others. We should be marked by that. And then in chapter 2, he goes further. That feeling should push us into prayer. It should push us towards talking to God about what's on our hearts. And then last week we got into chapter 3, which was action. So they actually started um, working at what God had called them to do. So they felt something, they prayed about it, they asked God about it, and then they didn't stop there. They moved forward to do something about it. Now many of us know people in our everyday lives, that they'll say things with their mouth but never get to the, the nitty brass tacks of it, like that, that it'll never take any forward motion. Um, but the people of God should not be that way. We should be people that feel and then pray and then do something about it. So, um, now, that's all positive, right? That feels good. That's like, yes, 
Pastor, I love that. Let's do something. The next three and a half chapters of this book are nothing but pain and opposition. Nehemiah has prayed. He's felt. He's he's doing what God has called him to do. And for the next three and a half chapters, all he faces is hardship. And so, back to the beach, which is a much more pleasant topic than hardship. Some of you are like, I'm glad he didn't dive too hard there. Um, But listen, so we're sitting on the beach. Um, My daughter uh, is playing in the sand. She we tried to take her in the water at a previous beach trip, and uh, we got out there, and she just ate it. Um, she was walking. She was running ahead. and You know how the, the current does, right? The, so the waves come in, and then it pulls you out, right? You, the water, and it's, it's forceful, depending on the, the time of the year and, and what's going on. So listen, so Macy gets out there. She almost drowns. I mean, it was terrible. So now she won't go near the water. As a matter of fact, the, the waves were so intense that the, the waves would come up on the shoreline. And so we thought we had found a good spot, but the chairs we had put out there, the waves were terrible. Waves were terrible. It was choppy. It was hard. It was not a day to be out in the water. And so um, this, this, the waves would hit really hard, and the water would come so far up on the beach, Macy would just freak out. I mean, she would lose it and run back behind us. One of the waves actually took all her digging tools and everything away. Took my shoes. I was like, baby, catch my shoe. It's about to go in the ocean. She didn't want to do that. Well, I was watching a couple that was trying to get out of the water, right? It's a little, it's exhausting. How many of you have ever spent any time in the water at the beach, okay? Um, When it's rough, when it's rough. Have you ever been in it when it's rough? It's exhausting. And so this couple was trying to get out of the water, but it kept, you could see the guy, he would brace when the water would start to draw out because he would feel it pulling him back out. And then a wave would come, knock them over, and especially true for the kids that were around. And it almost seemed like for every step forward they tried to take, They kept getting pounded. They could not get out of this cycle. And for many of us, we have faced seasons that feel that way. And for those who would call Christ the Lord of their life, for those in here who would say today, I am a follower of Jesus, there's this presumption that when I come to know Christ, there's, there's one presumption that would say, okay, I, I, don't, I face less hard times. Um, which has been no one's experience ever. But there's also an expectation now, a false expectation, especially if you just read the New Testament, like you see Jesus, and he encounters somebody who's having an issue, and what does he do? He fixes it. Boom, just like that. We see that a lot. So if you only study the New Testament, it would seem that there's, when you see Jesus, there's a lot of instant results. But if you read the entirety of this book, that is not the case. And so many of us would say, okay, pastor, I get it. Um, I'm going to face opposition, but it, it shouldn't tarry too long. 
I mean, I am a Christian. But if you're here this morning, I've come to tell you that that may not be the case. I've seen God heal like that. I've seen him do it. I've also seen people wane and, and, and be depleted by a season of pain and heartache that seems like there's no light at the end of this tunnel. This is going to speak to you today. So if that's you, if you've experienced it, you know who's somebody who is experiencing it. Um, my prayer, I have, I have three hopes for today. I have three hopes for today. Um, one is that we would identify unhealthy or unrealistic expectations we have about difficulty and pain. Um, I, I think many of us wrestle with our Christian faith so much in hard times because we we have this unrealistic expectation that God is going to prevent these things from happening. And, and that's just not true. It's not always the case. Um, the second hope I have for this morning is that it, when we find ourselves in difficulty, in response to difficulty, that we would see where we have uh, maybe putting our hope in wrong things. That today, if you're walking through difficulty and, and it feels like friction and rub and constant stumbling and you're like, why can't I get above and beyond this? Um, many of us are reaching and grabbing for the wrong hope. Um, many of us, it's us. Like we think, oh, I can fix this. Do you know how many Christians I know that battle difficulty in silence? Because they think, ah, oh, I can... One, I don't want people to see that my life is hard. Number two, I think I can, I can handle this. I, I can probably figure this out. And number three, one, I, I really hope today that this scripture would equip us to help each other through difficult seasons rightly. Um, so those are my hopes. That's, that's where I'm at. And, and I'm going to start out with just a definition here of opposition. Everybody say opposition. Opposition is anything, the way we're going to define it this morning, is anything or anyone that threatens your perseverance in the faith of what God or what God has called you to do. Um, anything. Now, anything or anyone. So some of you might have people already like, go ahead and preach to me, Pastor. I, I can think about two or three people I need to get rid of right away. They're, they're opposing me. And my, everything good God has for me, I can, I can point them out. But it can also be things that get in front of our perseverance in the faith. There are things. Um. So that's how we're going to define it today. And we're going to just start out here. We're going to walk through these first 15 uh, verses in, in Nehemiah. Um, but before we do it, can, can we just pray? I just want to pray that God would do something in our hearts today. And if, if you, maybe you're not walking through difficulty, but you know someone who is, and you just don't know how to navigate that with them, I just, my prayer today is that God would work in us to help our brothers and sisters navigate it. So, so let's pray for a moment. God, thank you uh, for your word uh, that we're about to receive in our hearts, that it would take root and we would leave here different. 
God, that, that this word, um, for those walking in difficulty this morning, would feel your word take root and be able to navigate this much differently. And for those um, maybe who have family or friends who are walking through difficulty today, our prayer is that you, oh Father, would help us, equip us this morning to help them navigate it well. And we lean on your word for that this morning. In Christ's name, we all said, amen. All right, so just, just where we're at in the story, Nehemiah and his, his, his community have started building the wall. They're working. They're just working at it. And they've been making a lot of progress. And then we find ourselves here, chapter 4, verse 1. Sanballat, how's, how's that for her name? Anybody? Anybody going to name their next grandchild Sanballat? No? Okay. Baby, hey, listen, Sanballat. Think, of it. Think about it. We'll pray. <laughs> I might need a place to sleep tonight. Okay, anyway. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Now, I don't know how you picture the scripture being read, but then it says this guy named Tobias here. So, so Sanballat's like making this big proclamation at these Jews. Who do you think you are? What do you think you can do with all this junk you've got? And then here's little Tobias. Tobias over here, uh, almost like a, they're, they're almost mocking. You've probably seen these people in school before, maybe in the office. Later. But Tobias, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Now, these people are trying to do what God has called them to do. And, 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 and they're in the midst of it, and all of a sudden they, they face this just rude, antagonistic, who do you think you are? You're not going to be able to do any of this. And, and, and frankly, um, pushback accompanies the work of God. Pushback accompanies the work of God. Um, so if, if you, and, and I would, I guess, align it also with kind of ground level here. If you've ever tried to lead your family well, in the scripture, praying, let me tell you something, everything will get in the way of that. Um, my daughter has the worst, uh, her, the worst uh, emotional episodes when it's bedtime, when it's time to pray, and I don't want to pray. She's told me, I don't want to pray tonight. Let's not do that. And I'm like, you don't want to talk to Jesus? Your dad, it's a pastor. We got to do this. I don't want to pray. Don't make me pray, daddy. We'll go to have a 
family Bible study, or you can ask my wife. Sunday mornings, it's gotten better here recently. Sunday mornings are like a target for opposition in our household. Things will not work out. Look, have you ever been trying to get to church and it just seems like all hell rages against you getting here? Now that might seem silly, and, but let me tell you something. When, when you are trying to pursue God and his will for your life, you will experience pushback. You will experience pushback. Um, uh, and, it's, and it's not just a, a Nehemiah thing. It's a now thing. The people of God have always faced opposition. And so if you've come in this morning and you think, I need to join church so I don't face opposition anymore. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But that is just not what's going to happen. Now, Am I trying to deter any of you? No, no, because you got to wait till the end. The, the good part's coming. But there is opposition. And, and he not only, you see, Sanballat attacks them in, in, a, in a big scale, but also in a personal scale. So I think we face opposition in the big C church, but then I also think we face opposition personally. Now, in the big church, um, I, as I was praying for this morning and what I would say, the church faces lots of opposition. This church, Transformation Church, faces opposition. One of the, I'll just name three. I've got a few, but I'm just going to name three. The, one of the biggest ones in our nation that's facing the church in general is tolerance. There is this and, and, and let me, there's like, I will tolerate people to a certain point, but then if they don't get on board with me, I'll just be intolerant to their tolerance of my intolerance. You get what I'm saying? There's this tolerance epidemic where um, nobody wants to get on the same page. And it's because, which I think is the second thing that we face struggle with as a big church, is extremism. There's, there's, it seems like in, in the nation today, there, there's just, op, you're either on the opposite end. There's nobody in the middle anymore. You're either stone cold to the right or stone cold to the left. And if you don't agree with one another, all of a sudden, well, I'm just not going to tolerate your intolerance. You get what I'm saying? It's complicated. And the reason that filters into the church is because um, those attitudes... <laughs> filter in here, that we'll tolerate people to a certain extent, we'll tolerate change, we'll tolerate all kinds of things until, until a certain point where it starts to impact me and then it makes me feel uncomfortable and then all of a sudden I'm not going to tolerate you anymore. I think probably one of the biggest things that our church faces in opposition is blending in. I think the church is so consumed with trying to blend in with everything else that's going on that there's no distinction anymore. Um, unfortunately, most of my friends who declare they're Christians look like everybody else. <laughs> you couldn't tell they were Christian. 
not by the way they walk, not by the way they talk, you wouldn't know. It's opposition to what God has for us. Now, personally, it can be all over the scale. This morning, you could walk in here, and it might be family issues that are trying to get in between what God has for you, and, 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 and it can vary in scale. How many of you, uh, let's say, never mind, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because some of y'all are with your families this morning, and I'm not trying to start a fight. All the husbands said, amen, brother, don't, don't make me raise my hand. It could be something at work. It could be work itself that has come between you and what God has for you. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's illness. I don't know what it is, but, but this morning I need you to understand that opposition is real. Opposition isn't going anywhere. And so all that is left for the Christian to do is not whether to anticipate opposition. We anticipate opposition. It's how we respond to opposition when it comes. So how do we respond, you may ask, to opposition? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's the next section in my notes. Let's, let's continue. Um, chapter 4, we're going to start down here in verse 4. Then I prayed, hear us, our God. For we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of all of the builders. Verse 6, listen. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. Some of your versions might say they had a mind to work. How we respond is very important. And I, and I love, now, I'm not, I'm not going to educate you probably to pray this way. Nehemiah lost his cool. He got provoked. He was being opposed, okay? People were warring against what he was trying to do. And he says, you know what, God? Don't forgive them. Don't blot out their sins. Look what they've done. So, so Nehemiah has a very personal, angry prayer. Can I tell you, it's okay to pray those prayers sometimes. It's okay, to pray. It, it's okay for us to feel that way. Nehemiah felt that way. And, but you know what he did with those feelings? He took them to God. And that's his very first response to opposition. And many of our first responses is not to go to God in prayer. We face opposition. We try and figure it out. Especially as type A'ers. Us type A'ers think we can figure it out before we get real deep into it. <laughs> you go to planning. Look, I know the thought process. Boy, I'm in it. What should I do? First, I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't want them to know. But I have really dug a hole. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put this over here. And then I'm going to shift all this around. And then I'll be out of the hole before anybody knows I was in it. 
look at the guilty faces in this room. That's our default, to hide. When our default, hear me. If you leave here today and you're facing opposition, hear me when I say this. Our default response should be prayer. Our def- no matter how it comes out, for Nehemiah, it came out angry. Nehemiah said, hey God, listen here. I want them to be captives now. Put them in slavery. Don't forgive their sins either. But maybe it comes out hurt. I don't know how it's going to come out, but I know one thing. I know you need to pray about it. I know you need to take it to God. And the second thing is, and, and, and I've heard it for years and years growing up in the church. They used to, um, a guy named Jewel, Buddy Jewel. He drove around a little Christian van in Hopewell. Uh, he used to say, every time I'd see him, uh, when we would depart ways, he would say, Brother Carl, you keep on keeping on. I'm telling you, I've learned lots of phrases over the years. Keep on keeping on, brother. Notice that Nehemiah didn't fall off the wall here. He prayed and he got back to work. Not just got back to work. At last the wall was completed at half height for the people had a mind to work. They worked with enthusiasm. And I got to tell you, many of us fall off the wall because we just have poor expectations. We often fall off track because we don't have a healthy anticipation that opposition's coming. Because what happens? Let's just be honest here. What happens when you face hard times, when you face pain? You know what the Christian's default? If you're not a Christian here, this probably isn't your default. But for Christians, let me tell you what the typical default is for the Christian. I'm a Christian. Why am I facing this? I remember when my parents got divorced. I remember asking God this question. I go to church every Sunday. I go to Sunday school. I go to Every time the doors are open, I'm in church. I go to prayer meeting. Nobody goes to prayer meeting. I go to prayer meeting. I pray in the morning. I do my devotions. Why are my parents splitting? That's our default. That's how I was raised. I was raised to default to... If I'm serving God faithfully, I don't face hard times. Or at least not the hard times other people face because I'm a Christian. But that is not the case this morning. So hear me. If you're a Christian in here today, understand that opposition is not going to steer around you just because you have some kind of holy, you know, hedge. That's what they call it in the church. Because let me tell you what happens when you're a Christian and you come from this expectation that biblically hard times aren't going to be as hard or not going to be there at all. What it makes you do is you, it makes you start questioning God. That's our default. We don't expect it. We default to saying, God, well, if I'm facing this, I must be, you know, God must not love me anymore. God must not be faithful. God must not be true. God must not be who he says he is because look what I'm facing, pastor. You don't know. 
marriages. Listen, when you're preparing for life, we are raised, you know, from the time we're kids, you can do anything you want, right? Uh, my parents never said that. We grew up in a single wide trailer, and they said, hey, I hope you make it at all. <laughs> Some of you didn't ra- weren't raised that way, but my parents were very realistic with me. They said, here's, here's hoping for you, buddy. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, but generally speaking, people are told... You can do whatever you want. And so when we face hard times as we're prepping for life, we think, oh, well, I guess God didn't have, you know, maybe God's not working this whole thing out. In marriage, when we're facing marriage issues, um, when we're facing dating issues, when we're facing college issues, when we're facing opposition of any kind, we seem to have this stance That maybe God isn't who he says he is. And it doesn't come from scripture. Now, are there times where God... Sh- <laughs> I often say this. If, if God has brought these hardships my way, I'd hate to see what could have come my way. I'm not saying God does not shelter and protect his own. But what I'm saying is you're not immune from hardship. So I I want us to leave here with a better framework for suffering. Because, listen, if there's one thing I've seen in church life, and, and you know this is true. In our families, in our friends, in our churches, when we face tough times, people disappear. They back away. And they say, and and part of that is rooted in they were not expecting hardship. But notice that Nehemiah, his his initial response was, I'm going to pray, I'm going to talk to God about it, and I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm just going to keep taking steps. And many of us just jump off the wall altogether and just say, hey, forget it, whatever. I'm saying that is not the right response. Our response to opposition will reveal to us our understanding of God and who God is. So, if you're looking for an assessment, hear me. Look at the last time you faced opposition or for those who are facing it currently. How have you responded? And what does that say about what you believe about God? Because let me tell you something. People are watching. People are watching and they will especially watch. Everybody loves a good soap opera. Everybody loves Jerry Springer. They turn on this episode. They just want to see the drama. You don't think that's true? Look at all the reality TV shows. Everybody loves to look in on some drama. Oh. This is what people do. They, they like to get, they don't want it in their lives, but they, they're like, have you heard about so-and-so? Or they'll be watching TV and they'll say, oh, man, that is awful. I want to watch more. <laughs> you know you're guilty of it, you nosy sons of guns. Listen. Oh, high and mighty in here, there's no place for that. 
but our response to opposition will reveal. So people will be watching, they will see, and they will see how you respond. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. So, now you would think, you, this is what you would think. This is at least what I thought. I thought, okay, Nehemiah's prayed. He got back to work. He's making it happen. Praise God. Let's move on to some better days. You know the opposition got worse. Have you ever faced those days? It's almost like, okay, we're making forward motion. Then all of a sudden you get two steps back. Watch what happens to Nehemiah. We'll go seven and eight right here. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites, yes, Lord, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. So listen, this went from just mocking and jeering and making fun to we're going to physically assault them. Now listen, we don't experience that here in the U.S. as much as they do in other nations. But listen, Christians in other nations, they, they are physically assaulted and killed for what they believe. I know it, it, it's hard to feel that here because we say it and, and maybe some of us knew it. But it's hard to understand what it's like to live in an environment where we are not only jeered and mocked. Look, we experience that all the time as Christians in the U.S. But we don't experience this legitimate physical threat. Look, they said, listen, we're going to take it to them physically. We're going to get our armies together. This isn't light duty, guys. This is real threat. And this is when it sets in. This is when the hard time comes. Look, I faced hard times. Okay, pastor. Now I'm doing what's right, and then it keeps going. I got the sickness diagnosis. They came up with a treatment plan. The sickness got worse. Couldn't get along with my spouse. Went to counseling. Can't even stand in the same room with one another. I needed some more cash. Made a budget. Bank account still in the red. Listen, this is what I'm talking about. Things aren't getting better. This is where the, the real response starts to happen. Some of us nail maybe that first response. Maybe some of us do. We go, oh, here's opposition. We pray and we keep trudging along. But after days and weeks and months, years of opposition... It exposes something. It exposes our faith. And also, that opposition becomes central to you. All of a sudden, it's all about the opposition, and God has faded back in the distance. Look, look what happened here. If you go to um, 9 here, it says, But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. 
Listen to what happened to him in 10, and maybe you can attest to this. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. They're discouraged. Have you ever felt discouragement? Like on a big level. I'm not talking like, wow, that steak wasn't cooked the way I wanted. I'm not talking about that kind of discouragement. I'm not talking about the kind of discouragement like when, you, when I found out last, last week that Ben Roethlisberger is out for the season for the Steelers. That's, that's one type of discouragement. I'm talking about the type of discouragement where God, I've tried to be faithful. I have tried to do everything you've asked me to do. And it keeps getting worse. My family is not coming to know you. They won't come to church. I I don't know where else to go here. And all of a sudden, discouragement sets in. I just want to speak this morning to the discouraged heart. It's a real thing. And let me tell you, I have faced many discouragements in family, in church. Lord, if you've gone to church long enough, you've been discouraged by somebody in church, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But for those who are discouraged this morning, I want you to know you have a place here. You can, you can walk out that discouragement with us. We'll, we'll, we'll get right next to you. But let me tell you what happens. So we get discouraged, right? What's our next move? We need somebody to encourage us, right? That's that's the next move. I need some encouragement. And with an unrealistic expectation of pain and an unrealistic understanding of who God is, what we do when we have extended times and seasons of pain and opposition, and it seems like everything is worn against us, what we do is we turn to other hopes and other people, other things. Some, some people turn to alcohol and drugs. And they're like, oh, there's a typical pastor thing to say from the pulpit. Some of us turn to people who we should have, who should have no voice into our life. Hear me. Verse 11, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down and kill them. Look, this is getting bad, folks. Listen, verse 12, the Jews, okay, so these are the good guys. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again, hear me, and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. These folks are facing opposition. They're trying to do what's right. They continue praying. They're now discouraged. And what do they have? They have friends coming and talking in their ear. Hey, y'all should abandon this project. Y'all should ditch this. Forget that. They're going to kill you. This is it. 
And so many of us in here today have decided that instead of turning to God and taking it to God, that we want to listen to people who have no idea what is going on and how to fix it. They will tell you all types of things that that will steer you wrong. And, And the most unfortunate piece of this is that a lot of it has come from church. And that's why I, I ache for us sometimes. And I want people, and when I said that one of my hopes was that we would be equipped to rightly walk people through opposition. This is what I'm talking about. The voices we listen to during opposition will either push us towards Christ or away from him. Oh, that we would be a people, that when people, when, when our friends, when our families face opposition, that we would just push them towards Christ and not like away or some kind of foreign advice. Or... Here's what Nehemiah does. Here's what Nehemiah does. Verse 13. So I placed armed guards beyond the lowest points of the wall. I stationed people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Don't. Be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Who is great and glorious. And fight for your brothers and your sons and daughters and your wives and your homes. Remembering God in the midst of difficulty makes God bigger and the difficulty smaller. can't tell you how many times I've faced struggle and not understanding why or where it's coming from. Or I've had friends who have faced it. And I I struggle for words to tell them. I don't know, like looking for that magic phrase that's going to fix it. And let me tell you something. There's no silver bullet. There is, while you might not be able to change the opposition itself, you can, you can change your posture during it. And go from beaten down and confused to upright and remembering God. I have, I have one thing I want you to do today. There's only one thing I need you to leave here and do. Remember the Lord. Ha. Remember him. He is great and he is glorious. Just remember. Nehemiah just said, hey, people, listen. Listen. I get, I get. He said, the Bible said right here, it said he assessed the situation. And he said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember who your God is. And look, I get it. 
when we have voices in our ears telling us what other issues may be and they probably steer us down darker rabbit holes if we could but just stop and remember the Lord if you're wondering how you make it through extended seasons of difficulty that's how you do it just remember him remember God in your marriage remember God in your career pursuits remember God in your workplace and the next time you go to blow up with your family members, look, I get it. Me and Kirsten have some knockdown drag outs, I'll tell you the truth. I'll air it all out right here. My wife, by the time I've been in ministry for, for 30 years, will be 60, 70 years old. Hopefully she'll be used to it. Me just bringing all this up right here at the pulpit. I don't ever warn her about it, I don't ever tell her. Can I just be honest? Can I be transparent? I wonder how my marriage would change if when I went to get frustrated with the difficulty, if I remembered the Lord. What if the next time I felt inconvenienced by my wife or my child or felt inconvenienced by ministry? and Because look, pastors, you know, we do get to get up here and vent and talk, but we also see the ugliest parts of the church, of people. And when I get frustrated by it, and instead of just getting all caught up in it, what if I just remembered the Lord? What if the next time finances got tight, I just remembered Him? Some of you today need to remember Him. It. He's there, he's real, he understands, he sees. And look, I, I'm not I can't wave my fairy pastor wand today and make all your opposition go away. I can't do that. But what I can tell you is that remembering God in the midst of difficulty makes God bigger. And the difficulty seems much smaller. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask each of you to pray. Don't just listen to me pray, but you pray. And I want you to ask God where you need to start remembering him in your walk. Father, today I, I am humbled by your presence here. I'm humbled that you hear us, that the God of all creation would see even my smallest difficulty and hear my prayer. Father, instead of telling my friends and family, trying to give them some advice from wherever, Lord, just help me to steer my friends towards you. And God, even in the midst of difficulty and trial, Father, that I would remember That as the days and weeks and months grow weary and discouraging, God, that I would remember you. That none of it's for naught, 
None of the pain is pointless. None of the sickness is without purpose. But God, did you have purpose in all of it? And just because I can't see it doesn't mean that you're not controlling and all around it. God, I pray for those here today. Difficulty is not an easy topic. It's not a... Not a real amen type sermon this morning, Father, but I know today that you're just beckoning, you're just calling your people to remembrance, to remember you in all your glory, in all your goodness, in all your faithfulness, that just because we're walking through a season of hurt and doubt and confusion that you're still God. You're still good, and we do trust you. It's in the matchless name of Christ that I pray. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.